So when I was, uh, when I was in school and when I was living in Austin, uh, I was a part of a campus ministry that had a few different uh, guys' households. Okay, uh, my household, uh, the infamous rooster household, um, I've told that story before, uh, we called it ourselves the varsity house, and uh, that we were the first household, and then there was a second household, we called it the JV house, they saw it differently, but that's what we called them, and, uh, and then there was a third household, which they changed their name so much, we just called it the third household, I mean, you know what I'm saying, like... They wanted to be cool, but that was on a rotation, so it was just very hard to keep up. But, but the, there was something very unique uh, about this third apartment, third guy's house. Uh, you know, you walk into their apartment, and you, you enter into the kitchen, and then immediately to your left was a, a rather large living room, and kind of looked standard, and they had uh, three different couches that formed a U-shape, and they all faced the television. So this isn't unique, but what was unique was the thing that sat directly over the television. The television was about hip high, and there was a, there was a piece of art, I don't know if you want to call it a painting, it was definitely a piece of art that sat right above the TV, so you couldn't help but see it when you walked in the apartment. And this was a framed, yes, framed picture or piece of art, velvet-laced Jesus. It was just, you touched it and it was, it was velvet. And they just, they had this Jesus picture of him kneeling and praying over their television. It was very weird. It's exactly what it sounds like. And, and jokingly, this velvet Jesus became the reason that good things would happen in this guy's health, uh, household. If someone was playing a video game and they won, they would thank velvet Jesus. And they, and they make sure to thank velvet Jesus for their victory. Uh, the lo- football in Austin, UT is a big deal. So if the Longhorn was, won, it was only because of Velvet Jesus. He blessed them that Sunday. And it, it is exactly as weird as I'm making it sound like. And so I stopped going over there. So I was like, this is getting a little too... Uh, I think they're starting to believe what they're saying here, that Velvet Jesus is the reason things that are happening. And, and it, again, it got weird. But what I noticed, although they were joking by giving props... To, to Velvet Jesus, it almost became second nature to do this. This habit almost became reactionary. Anything happened, okay, thank you, Velvet Jesus. And we thought it was a joke for a while, and then it got a little too real. I'm like, why are they continuing to do this? And I think what had happened was, is they just built up that habit of thanking Velvet Jesus. So something that was funny, something that was harmless in a lot of ways, turned into something that was just a part of their culture. And, you know, I, I realized something about all this is if we're not careful, bad habits that we have in our own lives can start to shape our character. Yeah. And, and we may look at these things. Well, it, it's not a big deal. But over time, these bad habits can start to shape who we are as individuals. So today I want to examine our individual characteristics and, and, and then observe the habits that are shaping, with, are shaping them. Amen. You guys with me? So the title of my lesson today is Velvet Jesus. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at two different stories, okay, in the Bible that are connected, okay? In the first story, we're going to look at a good idea that turned into a bad habit. And in the second story, we're going to look at a difficult task that turned into a very amazing precedent. So turn in your Bibles with me to Mark 12, and we'll read here in a few moments. But in the Bible... 
Okay, when we look at the overview of the scriptures, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they get a really bad rap. And usually rightly so, right? They were always painted as the antagonists, people who were opposing Jesus, people who are always in conflict with Jesus. And since, you know, we're team Jesus, right? Anybody against team Jesus seems to always uh, be a bad person. And then we look at the scriptures and, and we look at one scripture in particular, and I find something very curious. Okay, I'll throw it up there. Matthew 5 verse 20 says, for I tell you, and this is Jesus speaking at the Sermon on the Mount. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he, he's doing the Sermon on the Mount. He's really going after people's hearts. And he says, look, unless your righteousness surpasses the religious leaders of the day, you will not make it. So in the heat of the moment, essentially, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law get a shout out because they were known for their level of righteousness. Jesus calls them righteous because what had happened was they were good at following the law, but to a fault. And we'll look at that here in a moment. Their weakness was allowing their hearts, uh, their weakness, though, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, their weakness was not allowing their hearts to be changed when they obeyed the law. They, they looked at the law as something they, they were going to follow, but they were going to shift it in such a way that fit their own narrative and agenda. They, they wanted to be legalistic to make themselves great. Does that make sense? And so it's like, you almost have it. You're, you're really good at following the law. You know you want to follow the law, but you're missing the whole point of God's law. And that's where they were at. And so what we go here is we got to know this. And we're going to go to Mark 12 in verse 38. And this is, this is going to set us up as, as we see this. Mark 12, verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for those teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Point number one today is bad heart, bad habits. And so here's some background. The teacher of the law usually received no pay for their work. They weren't compensated. This wasn't a job of, uh, that earned an income. They relied solely uh, on the donations and the generosity of other people. So when Jesus is going from house to house in the scriptures and we see him relying on the generosity of other people, that was common. That's just what teachers did. The difference was is where Jesus went. He went in the houses with the, the, Pharise- or the tax collectors, the sinners, the, the, the lowlifes of the area where the Pharisees were about moving their agenda. And that's where we see Jesus and the teachers of the law in conflict. Okay? And so what happens is, is the teachers of the law, they would go from house to house and they would take advantage. So they would go to a, a rich family's house and definitely take advantage of that situation, you know, hey, I, I'm going to look out for you, so you got to look out for me. And then what made it worse is when they went to a, a person who, let's say, couldn't barely take care of themselves and demanded to be compensated or demanded food, demanded housing, even though they were just barely getting, wine, getting by. And that's why Jesus said they devour widows' houses. And what they would do is they would justify, okay, let's pray. Hey, we're really going to bless you. We're going to really honor you. We're really going 
We're really going to show you God's working here. So you should give us these things. So what happened was the religious leaders were taking advantage of the helpless people. And Jesus had an issue with that. But think about this from a big picture perspective. In theory, this was a good idea, right? People helping people. Hey, we'll take care of you. We'll teach you. We'll instruct you. Hey, just give us a place to eat and some food in our bellies and we'll be good. I mean, if you look through Luke 10, right, Jesus sends out the 70 or 72, depending on what your translation says, right? He sends them out, and what are they asked to do? Stay with the people. Let the people take care of you. Don't take advantage of the people, but let them take care of you. Because this was the system in place, people helping people. But instead of following something that could have been good, the Pharisees had a bad heart, or the teachers of the law had a bad heart, and they took advantage of a situation and then they, they turned something that could have been good into something that was detrimental and something that destroyed people. Yeah. <clears throat> you ever been in a situation where out of kindness, you like off, someone comes over to your house and you offer them something to eat or something to drink, but you're really not expecting them to say yes? <laughs> and then they do. You're like, oh, uh, I got water. You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> Uh, this happened to me one time. I, I was at, we had a situation where someone wasn't doing well. And I was in, actually, I was in Austin at the varsity house, right? And uh, we had uh, someone over, and they just weren't doing well. I was like, do you need something to eat, drink? They're like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. I'm like, ooh. Uh, so, I, so I opened up the cabinet, and I started shaking empty boxes. I'm like, uh, and I, I noticed we did have some food. And so I offered them, like, you guys, you want ramen? We got ramen. And you just kind of get that look on their face. Like, why did you offer? I don't know. I'm sorry. This is all we have. But you've been in that, right? You're not expecting people to take you up on that offer, but they do. And, and it said, you know, I think the picture being painted was these people were supposed to be loving because that's what God wanted them to do. But they weren't expecting to be taken advantage of. They weren't. But the Pharisees were doing exactly that. And I'm not saying the person who wanted my ramen was taking advantage of me. You know what I'm saying? That's not what I'm getting at. But I think that's the heart. Hey, we want to be loving. We want to be giving. But I think there's got to be some sort of unity, as Josh talked about, where, hey, we're just looking out for each other. Yeah. You know, what I learned from this, when it comes to loving people, our heart behind what we do is just as important as the act itself. And so if I'm offering people things or whatever, or I'm serving, but I'm doing it with a bad heart, I don't think God is glorified. And I think if I continue to do it with a bad heart, bad habits will start to form. Yeah. If you serve the poor because you're only doing it for the pictures you can post later on Instagram, God is not glorified. And I think we often get that. One of the things that bugs me, and this is my personal preference, so I apologize, is when people post birthday pictures with the other person. It's like, look at me on this person's birthday. Like, it's not your birthday. (laughs) It's that birthday. But look at me. Like, this person's, it's like, no, it's their birthday. I don't know. I'm weird like that. I apologize. But I, I think we do these, right? We want the attention. We almost want the glory, even though it's supposed to go to God or we're trying to give it to someone else. But we want to make sure we're not left out of that glory. And it's like this insecurity that bugs us. And my, my feeling is, well, how much do you trust God that he sees what you're doing? And, and, and I think we really got to examine that. Do we serve God to serve God? 
Or do we serve God in hopes that other people see us? And I think this is, this is the true nature of what the Pharisees were doing wrong. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted people to be drawing attention to themselves. They, they wanted people to see who they were. And Jesus was very much against this. We look at the Pharisees and the teacher of the law. And, and you know, they were all about the clothes they wore. They were all about their high seat in the synagogue. You must notice me. I'm going to sit in the front row. You must notice me. Calm down. You know, <laughs> we're all here. We're all worshiping God. But they needed that affirmation. They did. And Jesus was against that. In fact, he spoke about this. Remember the idea of, you know, if one hand serving, don't let your other hand see what you're doing. When we fast in Matthew 6, nobody should know we're fasting. We shouldn't dress in such a way that looks like we're starving or, or out of luck. No, it says, shower, clean yourself up, put oil on you, look presentable. Because you're doing this for God and not for the attention. God had a big issue with that. The person who should always be getting glory is God. That's the bottom line. In whatever we do, we do it for God's glory and nobody else's. I want to switch gears here for a moment and think about this passage from a different perspective. From the perspective of people being taken advantage of. From the rich, from the widow, from the people that were housing the religious leaders. How would you feel if you were a widow or a widower or in a poor family and someone came to you and took advantage of your situation? How'd that make you feel? Well, probably not happy, to put it mildly, right? But the real question then is, how would you respond? And I think this is a tricky question for me, because how am I supposed to respond in this situation? Do I fight the power? Do, do I do nothing? What, what do I do here? I'll come back to it. <clears throat> so one of the things that's very unique about the book of Mark is it's not in chronological order. Okay? The book of Mark is written in such a way so we can see Jesus and understand who he is and, and understand him as a person. Right? So when we see something in the book of Mark that seems like, oh, that's coincidental, it's probably not. It was probably written that way for a reason. So why does this matter? Well, the next story we're about to read takes place right after the story that was written. Mark 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow, widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of the poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Point number two, good heart, God notices. This story starts with Jesus sitting down and he watches the people. And he's watching the people give. And it says he's opposite the place, which means he's probably not noticed. So people are giving, but they're not like watching Jesus watch them give. He's off in the distance and he's just observing the actions. And what Jesus has noticed is that people were being generous. The rich always get slighted in this story, but it says the rich were giving and they were giving large amounts. And people were giving, they were lining up to give to God. And, and Jesus took note of that. He watched it and it excited him. But then the story shifts to this woman. She gives two coins and that's all she has to live on. 
And so what Jesus does is he, he calls his disciples together and highlights this event. And, and now I'm certain that the scripture we read earlier is written in this part right here on purpose because he's highlighting the fact that she's a widow. The story we just talked about highlighted the fact that Pharisees take advantage of widows. So why is this story here then? Well, I think this story is a little bit heavier than we realize. You know, I feel like every Sunday this story's read <laughs> somewhere in the world having to do with contribution because it's a great story. It highlights someone giving their whole heart, but I think it's a lot heavier than I think we fully grasp. <clears throat> Mark shows this widow as, and highlights this widow as someone giving everything. Okay, but he just told us that this widow, or widows are people who are taken advantage of. Widows from the religious leader. So why put her here? Well, I think we could make a jump and be like, okay, maybe the widow was a victim of that. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe this widow was giving even though she was a victim. I think that's a super stretch. So I'm not going to make that conclusion. But I believe what we're supposed to learn is neither our circumstances or how we feel we are being treated should dictate our devotion to God. And I think that's the big thing. It doesn't matter our situation, rich, poor, feel like people are out to get us, feel like God's love loves us. Our devotion to God should never waver. Do you punish God when you feel like people are being mean to you? Especially when it's supposed to be other Christians. Does one bad conversation keep you from giving money to God, keep you from reading the word, keep you from surrounding yourself with the body? Does one bad conversation keep you from being hospitable? Keep you from serving others? It shouldn't. Because then you're relying on other people instead of relying on God. Yeah. You're focused on the opinions of others, which we should love each other, and I'll get to that in a moment. And you're not trusting that God is bigger than all of this. I hope we don't do that. But I know it's in our nature, it's in our selfish nature to want to react and give God less because of how we feel. But what encourages me about this passage is Jesus takes the time to notice the woman's sacrifice. He sees her heart and he sees her effort. His small, he sees that this small gift was all she had. And, and for that reason, it's not a gift that was wasted. God noticed, Jesus saw it, and he made sure to make he made sure to let everyone know that they saw it. See what this woman is doing. He wanted his disciples to see it. Yeah. And I think when we do things like that, I think God wants us to know that these things are going on. God takes note when we give. God sees our heart. God also sees the falsehood behind our actions. Yeah. God also sees if we give and we have a bad heart. And what we realize is those can lead to bad habits. But I think we've just got to be confident and assured that even if no one else sees the work that you do, even if no one else sees how hard you serve, God sees it. God sees it. And honestly, that's all that matters. And you know what? He's really proud of you. (laughs) He's really proud of you. He sees your work. He loves you. 
A few years ago, Kelly and I, uh, we were visiting her parents' house, and Holly was about two years old at this time, and she had wandered off for a moment, and we didn't know where she was, and it got quiet, and so we realized there was probably trouble, and so we began to look for her, and as we we began to look, we quickly found her, and she ran up to her Mimi and, and grabbed her Mimi by the hand and wanted to show her something, and so she pulls her upstairs, meaning my daughter had gone upstairs, and walks in to uh, Kelly's old bedroom and presents the wall to Mimi. And it's a wall she had completely covered, colored on. And I got a picture of it. <laughs> she had taken some crayons and she had just gone to town on this wall. And she was so proud. She was so proud. I, I mean, how can you be mad at that? You can't, right? It's like, I can't believe. And she's like, look. Like, and you just, you're just, you're just so excited for her. Her heart. I want to do something for you. I want to, I want you to see what I made for you. And you go, you know what? It's like I can't be mad at that. You just can't. Why? Her heart was so pure. It was so genuine. This, she wanted to show off what she had done. And I think God feels the same way about us, right? He sees our hearts. He sees us putting a little bit more work in, even when no one else does. And he knows sometimes we're going to make mistakes, but he loves you. He loves you and he sees what you're doing. Are you working for the Lord or are you working for others? And I think we've got to understand what's more important because God notices a good heart. God loves a cheerful giver. God works for the good of those who love him. God loves you. And I think what encourages my soul is when we look back at this passage and we see what Jesus did when the woman gave. He he just responds. He pulls the people together. He grabs his disciples. He says, look, come here. Come here. I want you to see what this woman's doing. Look, everybody, take note. Look what she's doing. Jesus stops everybody because he wants to tell his friends about how sacrificial this woman is. That was the most important thing. He couldn't help but build this woman up. But you know what I find interesting? As he didn't do it to her. He doesn't walk up to the woman at any point that we see and go, hey, great job. Hey, you're awesome. No, he just tells his friends about it. And then life carries on. And I, and I thought about this for a moment. If anyone could use the encouragement, it was probably this woman. You know, she's a poor widow. Maybe she's someone who's been a victim of the system where religious leaders are taking advantage of her. Maybe she's got children at home that she's trying to take care of. She probably does not have a good job, if a job at all, because of women's status in in that society. If anybody could have used the encouragement It would have been her. So why didn't Jesus do that? You know, I thought about this for a really long time because it it almost, just to speak plainly, it almost kind of bugged me. Like, why didn't he? I mean, sure, she got written down in the book of life, didn't get a name mentioned, but you know what I'm saying? It did, it kind of bugged me. But then I, I realized something. I believe Jesus wants us to be the people who encourage people like this. That's why he pulled the people together to take note. I believe it's our role to encourage the heartbroken, 
the poor, the downtrodden. That's our role. And I believe that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples. Look, take note. That's your job now. In Jesus feeding the 5,000, they come to him and say, what do we do? And Jesus replies, you give them something to eat. In James 5, when Jesus, or when James is writing about the perfect religion, he says it's looking after orphans and widows. That's the religion that God finds as pure and faultless. It's looking out for those who can't take care of themselves or who struggle to get by. For Jesus, it was all about helping each other. And I think this is what I, when I look at this lesson as a whole, this was the most important thing for me, is we got to look out for each other. I think Josh did a great job today talking about unity. And I think that's going to be pivotal as we make the transition. But I think not just in this room, but outside this room as well. Looking out for each other, loving each other. Because that's got to be something that we strive for because I believe that's, mo- that's very important to God. Yeah. You guys with me on this? Yeah. You know, as we, as we started today, I, I kind of focused on a very obscure piece of art, right? And, and it was this idea of, hey, this bad habit became something that was ingrained in them. And I think if we're not careful, our bad habits, like being self-focused, like being focused on the wrong things, can take over and destroy our hearts and the hearts of the people we come in contact with. And so for us, we got to make a decision regardless of our circumstances. We're just going to have a good heart. And we're going to trust God through the whole process. And I think the thing that will help us have a good heart is looking out for those who need help. And so I want to encourage you, whether you're in the fellowship, whether you're in a Bible talk, whatever your situation may be, when you walk in a room, your first thing is, who can I look to love? Who looks like they just need a hug right now? Even if they're a little uncomfortable with that. But who just looks like they need a word of encouragement? Maybe who needs a a moment to be pulled aside and just prayed with? But having that heart, we're going to look out for those who just need to be encouraged, I think is exactly what God wants from us. And I think if we do this, Oh, man, I know God will be glorified. Amen? Amen. Thank you.